All right, if you want to take your seats, I'd like to read for you a passage of Scripture that you're going to find on the screen. It's uh, from Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, you'll see it on the screen after you take your seats. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. It's the Apostle Paul writing this. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's people, holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, because of the nature of what I do, my, my job, um, I'm somebody who deals in words a lot. I'm a word dealer. And uh, language, more specifically the words that we use, how we use the words that we use, the connotations that we give the words, even the emotions we use when we use certain words, uh, those can be really incredible weapons for good, right? They can also be weapons for harm. They can cause a lot of damage. Uh, in the words of the band Fallout Boy, I am an arms dealer fitting you with weapons in the form of words. And yes, I did just quote a song from the band Fallout Boy. Um, Words can be weaponized for good or for bad. And I'm, I'm a fan of redeeming words, I guess. Words that have been um, misappropriated uh, and given some, some connotations that maybe they don't normally have or shouldn't have. And so we're going to talk about two different words today. We're going to talk about love. Uh, obviously, I, I proclaimed that to you earlier. But uh, the first word that we're going to talk about today is is honestly one that is, seems innocuous. It's like, seriously, you're going to talk about that word? But uh, this is the word we're going to talk about. It's the word so. So. S-O. You can't get much shorter. Okay? S-O. So when I was a kid on the playground, and I know that I'm not alone in this, it was a contest of one-upsmanship. That was my life on the playground. Oh, yeah? My dad can beat up your dad. Oh, yeah? Well, my dad is a fireman. Okay. Oh yeah? Well, my family's going to Disney for spring break. Oh yeah? Well, I've already been there. And it was always about one-upping somebody else, right? That's how that works on the playground. The tooth fairy gave me a dollar for my front tooth. Oh yeah? I got three. Okay, it's always, always that thing, but there's usually a word sometimes that gets thrown in to that mix. And it's a, it's a word of dismissiveness. It's the word so. Well, the tooth fairy gave me a dollar for my front tooth. So? Ew, right? It's, it's so dismissive. It's almost arrogant, right? Particularly if the person that's sharing with you, like, information is excited. Like, wow, I finally got that job promotion that I've been, I've been working for and praying for. Isn't that awesome? And if you go, so? Just want to be best friends with that person, right? So, so, we got 
I get to go to Disney. So, been there, done that. So, of course, the word so is also a transitional word. Okay? So, the Packers had a rough season. You knew this was coming at some point, right? The Packers had a rough season, so Aaron Rodgers should retire. I mean, that's the bandwagon I'm on right now. Okay, all right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. But I think the most positive, uh, redeeming use of the word so is when it's used to take something a step further. So something is already, already this, but when it's so this, it just takes it up a notch, right? So, so, the Packers are amazing. The Packers are so amazing. That takes it to a whole other level, right? That's, that's the power of the word. So, all right, enough of the Packers. The use of the word so, that use of the word so, to take something that's amazing and make it that much more so amazing. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, the passage from Ephesians that I read earlier from Paul, it's a prayer, really, of the Apostle Paul. He's chained to a Roman soldier uh, in a prison when he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And uh, he's praying for the Christians in Ephesus that they might have a deeper inner spiritual strength. He knows the struggles that they have going on in their life and in their church, in their community, and he's praying that they would, they would be rooted, really, uh, that they would go deeper, rooting them deeper in Jesus. But that being rooted in Christ, that happens really once you begin to understand the depths of God's love for you. When you really begin to comprehend, maybe even just a, a glimpse how deep God's love is for you. It's when we're rooted in that love of God, them, the Ephesians, when, when they are rooted in that love of God for them, that they're going to find themselves filled with love. Now, our focus this year on being rooted leads us to today. Uh, in February, we're going to begin to look at what it means to be rooted in prayer, and I'm going to talk about that at the end of the service today. But we talked about how if we're going to be driving our roots deep as a people, we have to make a commitment. It doesn't just happen accidentally. It's, it's an intentional decision. You have to take intentional steps. You have to put feet to what you say you want to do and actually do those things. So it requires a commitment, but that commitment is in a person. And Pastor Ben did a great job last week of sharing that that, that person is Christ. He's who we always return to. He is the one that takes our roots Deep, And if we're rooted in him, we'll be solid. Our commitment is rooted in Jesus Christ. And so today what we're going to see is this. If you are committed to being rooted in Christ, it means you're going to be rooted in love. If you're committed to being rooted in Jesus Christ, you're going to be rooted in love. So I want to take you on a little journey and I'm going to ask you to hang with me because we're going to kind of feel like we're all over the place. In the first week of this series, I shared with you about Nicodemus. It's in John chapter 3. We know the verse, but uh, it's the famous passage about Nicodemus sneaking out to see Jesus at night. 
because he doesn't want to lose his credentials. He doesn't want to lose his influence with his people, and Jesus was kind of shady for most of them, and so he, he sneaks out. He's, he's an admirer of Jesus. It's also the source of the most famous verse in Scripture, John 3.16. It's on the screen right now. I'm going to ask you, would you read this out loud with me? I think that's good for us. Let's read this out loud together. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you. God loves you. Did you know that? I think that's not a really radical statement, Rich. We've heard that maybe your whole life. God loves you. It's a fact. God loves you. It's a statement. But the word so changes it. God so loves you. He so loves you. Now maybe when I say God loves you, your response is so. <laughs> uh, that was my response for a real long time. Who gives a fat rip what God thinks of me? I mean, I just, that was my life. Uh, but here's the deal. The God that we have is a God who leans into you even right now. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've seen, what you've tasted, touched, felt, does not matter. Your family does, does, does not matter. Doesn't matter where you live, where you work. You have a God right now, this very second, who leans in on you. He does not lean away. God does not lean away from you. He leans into you. This God pursues you. He embraces you. He sees you. He really sees you. No matter what shape you're in, doesn't matter the baggage you got, the questions you have, it does not even matter the sin. And I'm not excusing it, but even your sin does not make God lean away from you. In fact, it causes God to lean in harder and closer. Yes, God loves you, but you are so loved. You're so loved. Let me ask you, is that the message that you believe about God today? I want you to stick with me. There's this other passage that plays really well with John 3.16. It's actually in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. It's on the screen. I'm going to ask you to read that one out loud with me as well. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, with your mind there, let's go back to John's gospel now. We were in John 3.16, then we jumped to 1 John, then we're going to jump back to John, John chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. I'm not going to make you read this one out loud, but look at it on the screen. It says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Can I do a mashup a little bit? 
of these three passages, these two, three passages. Here's the breakdown. No one has ever seen God. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. No one has ever seen God. Doesn't matter how sinful you are. No one has ever seen God but Jesus. We have Jesus. Jesus made the character of God known to the world. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. You look at Jesus. And so the disciple John tells us that if we love like Jesus, we make God known to the world. In fact, it's the primary response, listen closely, of someone who has God's love in them, who has truly reckoned with how so loved they are. You love others with that love, the love of God. So what does this have to do with being rooted? Well, the logical idea of being rooted is that if you're rooted in the wrong thing, then your roots don't go deep, uh, and it's easy to be uprooted. When a storm comes, when challenges come, when things get threatened, sometimes you get swept down the stream. Uh, I don't know if you saw the rain that fell in California. And, I mean, this, that's, that's just some good visuals of what happens. If your roots do not run deep, all of a sudden, life messes you up. Things begin to, to start happening. In some extremes, we may even be tempted to walk away from the faith. The family of believers sometimes, even more, even more. What I'm seeing from Jesus here is that if we are truly rooted in God's love for us, when those storms do come, and they do, you know that, when those storms do come, we remain firmly tethered in him. Because we just know how so loved we are. We're just so loved. And part of the challenge, I think for people like us, is to remember. Because we forget. I forget. We forget how so loved we are. You are so loved. I think sometimes it's easy to forget just how much God so loves you. Let me ask you, have you ever had a moment where, um, where you realized you were being so loved by another person? Have you ever had somebody like that in your life that just loved you irrationally? Like, they just shouldn't be loving you the way that they're loving you. But they're doing it anyway. They weren't just showing you love but their actions, their commitment to you expressed so much more than just love. They so loved you. I lost uh, a friend to cancer just before Christmas. Uh, Kevin was my district superintendent in Wisconsin for the better part of 10 years. And uh, that friendship with him took on an interesting look in uh, December of 2014, late 2014. Um, I'm at a place in my life right now where I'm okay with sharing with others that I've had a couple of episodes of major depressive disorder in my life. 
um, times where I've sought professional medical help and counseling and therapy. Uh, in late 2014 was the most devastating of the two large experiences with that in my life. Now, I know that there's a stigma uh, tied to that in some Christian circles. I'm also aware that some people throw the word depression around pretty loosely. Um, those are usually people who have no clue what it feels like to be in the throes of a major depressive episode. Um, and I'm grateful for the help that I've received. I'm on top of things uh, so that I can avoid going down that hole again. Uh, that said, if there was a time that I needed to know that I was so loved, it was December of 2014. Uh, enter Kevin Donnelly. Kevin was, I mean, the last name is Donnelly. He's, he's a little Irish dude. He could fit in my pocket. I mean, he's just, he was like a leprechaun. I just, uh, Kevin was just this amazing human being. And it was a Thursday morning, and I had not slept all night. And at 5.30 in the morning, I picked up my phone and called him. And he answered it because he saw it was me. And within 45 minutes was sitting in my living room. Thus began this really interesting, I mean, when, you, when you're in a major depressive episode, uh, you don't necessarily think rationally. And uh, the feelings are very real, but there's no in-between. I mean, there's, you're living in a, a moment of ultimatums in a way. And for me, my feeling of worth in that moment was just gone. It was absent. Um, I needed somebody to listen to me. I needed somebody I could confess things to. I needed somebody who would know me and just take everything that I was willing to, to let out. And uh, Kevin was the guy. I think I confessed everything I'd ever done, even all the way back to when I was like four years old. And he took it all. And uh, I just wanted to be known. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free of guilt, but I also wanted just to be free of just anything in my life uh, that made me feel like I felt in that moment. And in that moment, I, I took a risk. I took a huge risk with a fellow believer. Not just a fellow believer. I took a risk with my boss. This was my boss. And it turns out that the love of Kevin Donnelly made me want to be more like Jesus. That's what happens. When you have truly reckoned with the love of God in your own life, and you be to begin to dispense that love, the recipients of that love see something, and you actually want to be more like Jesus, the source of that love. Kevin embraced me. He prayed for me. Uh, he called me every single day, multiple times. Uh, I had a speaking engagement out of town a couple weeks later. And Kevin came with me, stayed me, with me in my hotel room so that I would not be alone. He sacrificed time for me. He encouraged me. He prayed over me repeatedly. He had us in their home and more. Kevin invited me to go places with him. And slowly, over the course of several weeks, I knew one thing for certain, that Kevin did not just love me. He so loved me. He so loved me. Even so, no conditions, no prerequisites, 
no requirements, no reservation. He so loved me. I got to be on the phone with him a few weeks ago as he literally was getting in the car uh, after he left his final doctor's appointment where they let him know that there was not anything else that they could do. Uh, And I got to pray with that man on the phone and show him love. And I regret that I didn't have more opportunities to express my gratitude to him for what he did in my life. Because I think because of what he did, I might be just a little bit more like Jesus today. Because of what he did. I share this with you because when you begin to fathom the depths of a so loved kind of love, it will change you. It will mark you. A love that is so wide and so deep, it comes from a place of cost. It comes from a place of personal interest. It's a, it's a love that doesn't make sense socially. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense religiously. It doesn't make sense relationally sometimes. It's extravagant. And in our opening passage from, from Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, he tries to paint just how incomprehensible This so loved kind of love is. He says that I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide. I mean, you can see him. He's grasping for the right words, but even these words don't do it. Just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, you, you can't fully know it because it's so loved that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And Kevin, I got a glimpse of somebody so filled with the love of God that it spilled over into me. So infused with how wide and how long and how high and deep God's love is that he could not help but show me the God of this love through his words, through his life, through his love for me. This high, deep, long wide love of Jesus. It's irrational, okay? It's unconditional. It's radical. You can't domesticate Jesus's love. You don't get to. Neither do I. It's loose. It's a flood. It's inevitable. His love is inevitable. You see it throughout the Gospels. Jesus does this over and over again. He gives himself. He literally just gives himself to people that you and I and others would hold in disdain and disgust and contempt, and we want to keep them away. And Jesus goes and eats with them. (laughs) He treats them like, like, like they're his friends. I love how Eugene Peterson, the author of the message translation of Scripture, this is what he says at the beginning of Luke 15. A lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Oh, that one might take me. That one might take me that might take you, take one in and eat and be like an old friend. You today are so loved. You are so loved. 
And can I tell you, the moments of greatest growth in my life where any sense of personal righteousness or any sense of spiritual transformation, the moments of greatest confession, greatest repentance and change were those moments when I was so overwhelmed by a God who so loved me. Even so. Even so. Even though I was broken. Even though I might have sinned. Even though I may have been wrong. Even so. Even so. He loved me. He loves me so. Maybe you've heard that. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am the tree. Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of the sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us. Oh. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. When confronted by the love of a God who would give his only son for me, would so love me, it's that love that makes it down deep into my heart. And through the work of not anything other than the Holy Spirit, love is born in my heart and transformation begins to take place. It's that love that we receive and then it's that same love that we show others. In fact, John says it's evidence of God's love in you. It's how God is going to be made known to the world the, this so loved God through you. Can I share with you another word? It's a Bible nerd kind of word. That's okay. It's the word exegesis. So when John says God is made known, it's the Greek word that translates into the English word exegesis. And here's what it means. Simply put, to exegete something, or, or exegesis means to take something like Scripture, take something like a verse of Scripture, and you begin to work with the original language and the context that the Scripture was written in. You take historical issues into account, cultural issues into account. You dig down, and you discover the original intent of those words. And when you've done that, what you've done is you've exegeted Scripture. You've found the original intent of what those words mean and why they were chosen. What John is saying in this passage, when he says God is made known, he's saying that Jesus is the exegesis of the nature of God. Jesus is the exegesis, the intent of the nature of God. Jesus strips our biases, our predispositions, our preconceptions that you and I bring to the table, and Jesus shows us God's heart. And it's a heart full of immeasurable love for the whole world, even you. Even you. And when you fully embrace his so loved love for you, you now, exegete God for the world through your love. Listen, the heart of God is you are so loved, and this radical, costly, extravagant love is extended to you and me, and now we get to live out the love of God towards other people. 
Jesus had a little problem back in the day. Um, the religious people were pretty uncomfortable with him. Uh, the Pharisees taught that by teaching the law, and this is what they thought, they thought they were showing by their rightness the real character of God. Uh, in their mind, the heart of God was, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Stop doing it. That was all the law and the prophets. <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And stop. Stop doing it. But then, and then Jesus comes. And a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. A radical, costly, seemingly irresponsible, extravagant love. And as a result, those people were changed. Changed by love. In the end, being rooted means being rooted in the love of God. It's a so-love kind of love. It's not a lip service kind of love. It's a sacrificial, giving, selfless love. It removes condition for expression of that love. Uh, at the same time, it trusts that it is the God of love who brings about the righteousness that the law requires. Not you. Not me. I can't change anybody's heart. Can you? I'm a pretty sweet dude, man. I got myself a good wife. I can say a lot of good stuff, but I can't change anybody's heart. And neither can you. It's not a rule. It is a love wrought in the hearts of those willing to dive a little bit deeper into how deep and long and wide and full this love of God really goes and then allows that so loved love to pour out on other people. When you're rooted in that love, I can guarantee you nothing stays the same. Nothing stays the same. So can I tell you this morning, God loves you. God so loves you. Don't forget that. Let it sink deep. Receive it. And then allow that love to change you. You are so loved. I want to pray with you, and then can I share an announcement with you? Father, there's an aspect of the love that we've just talked about that is very unnatural to us. It's unnatural to me. Um, I struggle to express myself sometimes. I struggle... Father, to express love, even to those that I love the most. My love has weird conditions tied to it. My love has um, biases tied to it. And so I confess today, Father, to you. I want your love to radicalize my heart. I no longer want to love with the love of Rich Dory. I want to love with the love of God. Father, I believe that as I experience and embrace how deep and long and wide, how high 
your love is for me, that my heart changes, that I have a desire to be more and more pure, more and more true, more and more in line with who Jesus is. Father, this is about Jesus. This is not about me. It's not about us. This is about your son. This son who is the evidence of your so loved love of the world and us. We give ourselves over to you today that we might experience the fullness of your love. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. On the screen, you're going to see that uh, here in a couple weeks, we begin something called the 21 Days of Prayer. And um, I shared with you a couple weeks ago that uh, when I first came two years ago, I asked the board, I asked the staff specifically, and and some other people, um, what the values of this church were, what are really the high values. The number two value was prayer. We highly value prayer. The reality is with certain things, there are perceived values and actual values. Actual values are values that they're just entrenched in who you are. It's what you do. Perceived or, or um, how do I say this? Um, well, perceived values to a certain extent are ones that we, we do. We value those in our mind and in our hearts, but we don't necessarily participate those in as full of a way as we should. Prayer, I think, is one of those, and it's not meant as a slight. It's evidence in my own life. So what we're trying to do this year is reestablish some of these, these patterns of behavior of a body of Christ, and one of those is a pattern of prayer. So the 21 days of prayer launches on February 1st. It ends on February 21, uh, the day before uh, Ash Wednesday, and then you'll be invited to come back here for an Ash Wednesday service that night. But uh, there's a, a devotional guide, a prayer guide that's available. You can download the app, and it's available. It's right now. It's on the app. Uh, You can download the entire prayer guide right now through the app if you wanted to for those 21 days. There's some information on it, uh, inside of it, about fasting and about some just kind of ideas for how you might pray in these 21 days. At the same time, too, you'll see on the screen that there's some times that have been set aside on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings specifically uh, for people to gather in this room and pray. I'll be leading those times. I just want to encourage you to take advantage of this whole opportunity that we have as the body of Christ to come before God in prayer, uh, to bear one another's burdens, to lift each other up, and, uh, and seek his face. And uh, as we do that, I just want to encourage you, um, those, you don't have to just wait until those two times to pray. If you want to pray, you can pray anytime you want to pray. You can pray driving in your car. You can pray sitting in school, contrary to popular belief. You can pray while you're sitting there. Uh, you, can, you can do all kinds of different stuff in prayer. So I want to encourage you to pray uh, during those 21 days, maybe more than you've prayed before. And we're just seeking to reassert prayer into the life of our church in a, in a solid, strong way and establish some new patterns from prayer, for prayer as we move forward. We'll also be talking about what it means to be rooted in prayer in those Sunday morning services. And so I just want to encourage you to be thinking about that. I'm going to ask you to stand. Yeah, oh, one more thing about that. If there, go ahead and stand. If there's, uh, so if you're like, I don't want a digital copy, I want a physical copy of that, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. It says 21 days of prayer, physical copy or whatever. Uh, just write your name down. That way we have a count for how many we need to print out. 
And so if that's you, that's, that's great. I'll probably carry a physical one around too and do the app because why not have more layers of everything? But, uh, but I just want to encourage you, if, if you don't have access to digital means or anything like that, I want to encourage you to, to sign that so we know how many to print and have available that first Sunday in February. So that would be great. I want to read a benediction for you. This is the passage from Ephesians, but it goes on through Ephesians 21, and it's from the message translation. I just think this is really, really good. And so let this be a prayer for us as a church today. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives. Live in the fullness of God. He says this, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working in us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. And then the amen at the end is this. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, so, <laughs> go and let it be yes. Let it be yes. Experience the love of God in your life today. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Just the same.